Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. If you didn't catch last week's shows, I've got some news. The Politics Guys now has a listener message line. If you've got a question, comment, or a correction for our listener mail segment or a potential Ask the Politics Guys question, you can now leave a voicemail message with us, and if we use it, we can let you speak for yourself instead of us reading your words. To try it out, give us a call at 408-840-3518 and tell us your name, where you're from, and then your comment, correction, or question. Again, that number is 408 408- 8403518. We've also got that number on the website. That's politicsguys.com. Now, if you tuned in last week expecting me and Jay, you got a bit of a surprise. Jay wanted to be here, but he had some computer issues that prevented him from doing both the Sunday show and last week's Ask the Politics Guys. Instead, it was me and Dominique Wagner, another very smart friend of mine who was also an attorney. Uh, I seem to know a lot of attorneys. Uh, Now, I mentioned last week that we were bringing Dominique on to try a three-person format, which would allow us to be more than just one middle-aged white guy talking to another middle-aged white guy. But because Jay couldn't make it, we weren't able to do that. A number of you emailed and messaged to let us know that the show had too much of a liberal bias with Jay not there. And you know what? You're absolutely right. It did. The whole idea behind the politics, guys, from the very beginning was to have liberal and conservative views represented and discussed in a respectful manner. We're still as committed to that as we ever were. But last week, all we had available at the last minute was two left of center views. So that's what we went with. Now, this week, Jay is with us, though Dominique couldn't be here. But we're hoping that next week we'll all be here and you'll get a chance to hear the three-person format and let us know what you think. Thanks. All right, to start with, let's talk about the event that everyone was waiting for. It finally happened last week, the first presidential debate between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Now, the conventional wisdom is that Clinton won big, and the initial batch of reputable polls taken after the event seemed to support that view. Since the debate, Clinton has gained on Trump both nationally and in critical swing states, something we'll talk more about later on today's show. So, Jay... uh, well, first, Jay, welcome back. Glad to have I'm you here. Back. Yeah. I'm back, baby. Most excellent. Uh, so many people were so disappointed. It's nice to know. know you have fans, isn't it? I um, know it is. It is. And I, I hate to disappoint people. And I apologize. I should have tried to we're, – we're trying to set up for the three-person format, which requires some different tech stuff than, than what we usually do. And I had my computer uh, com- constantly freezing and uh, 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 sort of crashing on me and, and required lots of reboots and reloadings and all that. So – uh, I, I'm sorry I missed it, but uh, but it's good to be back. It's good to have you. So let's just uh, jump right in. What would you think about the debate? A um, couple things. First of all, I mean it's it's a little weird because we're we're talking about almost a week past, uh, just because when the debate was and when we record the show. Um, but my my initial feelings are are fairly similar to what what they are now, and that is uh, Trump got off to a good start. And if you look at what Trump needed to do, you know, it was the low bar of saying, 
uh, look, I'm not nuts. I'm not crazy. I, I can look presidential. I can look, uh, I, you know, be a serious leader. Uh, and I thought he, he did that fairly well for the beginning portions of the debate. Um, he, he did it less well as the debate went on. Um, uh, Clinton, I think the hurdle she had to get over was, um, sort of a likability because even, even among a lot of people who don't like Trump, they still sort of like Trump. Um, if you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I think you mean, do you mean that they, they like kind of what he stands for, but they just have a problem with sort of his manner, his crassness, that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, um, but uh, with with uh, Clinton, I think, you know, what she needed to do um, was portray herself and I'll, I'll use the S word and probably get in trouble, but as, as not shrill. Uh, and, and let and me come just off as 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 human. Yeah, and let me just jump in just for a second here. And I understand why you were concerned about getting in trouble here. And but the fact of the matter is, is whether we like it or not, and I don't like it. There is a double standard. Uh, a man can be very sort of aggressive and forward and not seem shrill or not have people think that. But a woman, for a lot of reasons, uh, many of them I think very much uh, unfortunate, has a harder time with that. And so. I don't think that you're saying that you endorse that. You're just saying that that's kind of yeah, how it, it is, which it makes is, it, it harder is what for it a woman. Is, and these are the perceptions Absolutely. That, that they both struggle with. Yeah. And again, Trump Trump's was uh, sort of the the mirror image of that is is don't be a jackass. You know what I mean? Don't come across right. as a loudmouth jackass, um, which is sort of the the male equivalent of of a, a shrillness, uh, you know, claim, I guess. Um, but uh, and I, I think. I think she she did that fairly well as as the the evening wore on. Um, uh, well, you know what troubled me about Trump was again there was some of the off the cuff sort of just stumbling through um, issues. If there, there's always the throwing out of listen, I've talked to all these people and I, there's all there's all this evidence and he he doesn't never really cites it. Um, you know for for one proposition or another. So end of the day. Uh, I would say I would probably agree with the polls that uh, Hillary probably did better. It seems to have boosted her more than Trump. Um, but I don't think that Trump did bad. I don't think it was uh, – um, it was – and this is, again, going to sound maybe a little strange. But it was less of a um, spectacle uh, than than it might have been. And I think the Trump people saw what they want to see and, and it reinforced their their views. Uh, and uh, Hillary's people it reinforced uh, their views. Uh, so I don't know that it changed a whole lot of minds. Um, yeah, well, I think I think the problem. Yeah, exactly. I think the problem is is that for Trump to win because he has a narrow narrower path to victory, he has a little bit of a harder job to sort of convince some of these people who are undecided. And you know, a lot of these people are women. And you know, let's talk a little bit about the sort of the the crazy sort of side note. The whole Miss Universe thing. Uh, now, yeah, pretty yeah. clearly, Hillary Clinton, I, I'm pretty sure, baited him into that. And he eagerly took the bait, which he's made worse. And we'll talk about this later, a little later on in the show. But talk about just really stepping into it. And this, to me, is you know a, a concern. Do we really want a president? And this is how I think some people think about it. Do we really want a president who 
is able to keep alive a two-decade-old grudge against the former Miss Universe. I mean, and that's right. the, the idea, that whole thing we've seen of what seems like picking on the people who are far less powerful than him simply because he has this just seemingly pathological desire to be right, to win the argument. And I think how I feel as part of being president is knowing what fights to pick and what fights not to pick. And this plays right to the temperament argument. And it seems like, I mean, I agree with you, he started off strong, but he can't help himself. When he's baited, when he's questioned, whether it's about his, you know, how he started out, you know, Clinton said, you know, your father loaned you all that money. He had to go back to that. He just seems to me like a deeply, deeply insecure man. I mean, I noticed all throughout the debate, he talked about whenever he brought up a city, oh, I have properties <laughs> I there. have beautiful properties you know? there. And it's not, I don't think it's, I, I think it's, it's a deep-seated insecurity. What else would cause a person to yeah. spend so much time and energy fighting back against people who clearly pose absolutely no threat to him when it's obviously counterproductive. This is a man who I think is more psychologically unstable since any president since Richard Nixon, maybe. And, and, you know, I think that should give people pause. And I think the fact that he did not do any traditional debate practice, you know, meaning getting up at a lectern and actually practicing the questions, having someone needling him and so forth. Apparently, according to his handlers, he was not interested in doing that. I think what will be interesting for me is to see, will he learn from this? Now, of course, there was that whole big Trump one meme thing that was going around. And Donald Trump, I think, is a smart guy. I think he's got to realize now that he's seen the polls, the, the legitimate polls, that he didn't do that well. And what I'm wondering is if he can get out of his own way. Because the thing is, if he could have gotten out of his own way, he could have won this debate. I have no doubt in my mind that one line that especially struck me again and again, where he said a number of times that Hillary Clinton was talking like a typical politician, all talk and no action. They've been talking about this for decades. Why haven't you done anything? And that to me, that was just a killer line. I don't believe in it. But I think it was a killer line to undecided voters in what I see as a change type election. And yet, and, and I thought he did well on a couple of the the hits on um, on Hillary on the TP uh, uh, TPP uh, yeah on trade um, absolutely you know and, and again using her words against her and and again showing some level of of preparation depth and look I'm looking at this that kind of thing again setting aside the where you are on the actual issue of it uh, just from the the political points I think I think he did well but. Um, you know, and, and you're you're right. He's he's shown this weird thing goes back all the way back to the Megyn Kelly, uh, and um, then sort of the the spats with with the other GOP uh, contenders, uh, and the Khan family, and and all these uh, fights that he has no reason to get into, um, and has the option, and in, in many cases, to get out of quite easily. Um, but then just, he chooses, stop, yeah, stop fighting about that. But, but then he chooses not only to not do that, but to double down. So the whole thing about Rosie O'Donnell saying, "Well, yes, I've called her a pig," but you know, I think everyone. He essentially saying, "Well, I don't think anyone has any sympathy for her because she's an awful person." I think it's like, my God, why? What? What sane person would do this? And it's it it serves him so um, poorly. That's what I don't. He gets nothing out of it except this. I guess the emotional, psychological satisfaction of being able to put a third-rate, unimportant 
comedian in her place. Why? I, geez, I, it, it boggles the mind. It really does. Yeah. You know. Well, and, and with the, the Miss Universe thing, the easy answer, and you'd have to think that his people around him would have brought this up to him, uh, would just be to say, you know, if he has to address it at all, which I don't know that he does, say, look, this is stuff I said 20 years ago. Uh, when I was running a beauty pageant, right now I'm running for president and, and uh, I want to talk about uh, yes. uh, what's best for the American people and, you know, it's a, Hillary in emails or something. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an easy sort of redirect yep. kind of just, you know. It's a standard. It's a classic, but it's a classic for a reason because it works. And, you know, this is where he's just, again, getting in his own way. Now – And the other, the other piece that Trump has relating to this is because he doesn't have a, a background in politics – he can also say like, you know what? Yeah, I said a lot of stuff uh, over the years, uh, but that was when I was just a private citizen. That's why I'm where I was just, you know, yes. whatever on the Howard Stern show or something. And, you know, and, and no one necessarily took what I said seriously then, but but now I'm running for office and now this is important and it's important what your presidential candidates say. And you could, you could approach it that way too. Absolutely. So. I mean, and you've got to believe that his advisors are telling him exactly that, some version of it. And that's why I if think we've, – If we've thought of this, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. there's someone in there who, who has also come up with that. Yeah, yeah. let's assume that Trump's advisors are at least as smart as we are, right? Or, or you know, and, and so that's why I think the second debate to me is going to be so fascinating because I think it will be the true acid test of whether or not Donald Trump can stop sabotaging himself. That would be really – now – one thing I will say for Donald Trump, I will defend Donald Trump on something here. Um, the, okay. the Iraq question. You know, there was uh, uh, Lester Holt kind of pushed back on him on that issue. And the thing is, is I think that Donald Trump, after doing some careful thinking about it and some research, I think Donald Trump's actually right about the Iraq issue. Uh, here, here's my explanation. You no. mean on the merits of it or on well, the, the value of that question? Well, no, on the question of, you know, the big question is why won't Donald Trump admit that he actually was for the war in Iraq, uh, but he, you know, initially at right. least, and he changed his mind and won't admit it. Well, here's my take. Before the war, Donald Trump wasn't that politically engaged, uh, like like now you might say, <laughs> but <laughs> but – but if you if you look at the transcript from the Howard Stern show, which everyone points to, it was a very, very non-committal sort of yes. It's like, well, I guess maybe too bad they didn't do it right the first time, but clearly he had not thought about it a whole lot, right? Then in a later interview, again, uh, I believe before the war started on Fox News, he gave sort of a non-committal maybe not. But both answers indicate, I think, that he was not thinking so much about American foreign policy. And, and here's the key distinction, I think, and here's how I think he should phrase, frame this. But Clinton definitely was for it, and she was not a private citizen. She was a United States senator and very politically engaged. That's a huge and difference. Also, and also someone who would – Hillary Clinton had the, the advantages of all the information yeah. and intelligence briefings and, and so forth exactly. uh, that would come with, with her position. Yeah, so I, so I think Donald Trump's right about that, but he's not – Playing it the right way, you know, and and that I think is very much to his, uh, to you know, not to his benefit. So, uh, one other thing before we move off the debate, uh, what did you think about just generally the format, the how how we do debates and so forth? We may have, I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but any thoughts about how it was just generally done? 
Um, yeah, you know, I, yeah, we've we've talked about this, and I, I know I posted a, a, a piece just about how how debates have turned from debates to sort of whatever you want to call them now. That was on the Facebook um, page. Yeah, that was a yeah. good read. Um, no, I, I thought it was actually less crazy theatrics than it could have been. I was expecting a little a little higher level of, of uh, craziness and goofiness. Um, Lester Holt, for the most most part, let them talk, uh, which I think is I think is okay. Uh, people have pointed out that uh, Holt asked uh, 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 Trump many more sort of probing attack, uh, fact check kind of questions. Uh, and Hillary, he sort of tossed up the softball of uh, how about those emails? Um, so, uh, you know, is that is that a bias thing? Yeah, maybe, probably. Uh, is it is it any more than what I would have expected, you know, from mainstream media? No. Um, I, I think, our, you know, the, the problem that we we have with debates is that I think debating issues is easier and better than just two candidates debating who's worse between them. Right. Um, when you, you know, people always hold up, uh, you know, Lincoln and Douglas as sort of the model. Um, but a big thing to remember about the Lincoln Douglas debates were it was about a really big policy issue, a number of policy issues, uh, all related to, to slavery. And, that's that's something that we don't really have here. I mean, you, you can't say that this is a a, sure. a, a situation of, uh, or even like a, a Reagan Mondale or or uh, Reagan Carter, where you have two people who are espousing different views of of what the government should do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's well, much, economically, uh, you do. I mean, clearly, pardon? clearly, in terms of their economic programs, you know, let's say, and this is kind of a standard Republican-Democrat difference, but I think what, I, if I understand you correctly, you're saying much bigger differences, like should there be slavery or not, and obviously that's a much bigger, you know, more divisive question than does uh, trickle-down economics work. Well, no, I would say almost, but, but I'd say both Clinton and uh, Trump are, are both of the opinion that trickle-down economics wouldn't work, and they're also mm. both. Uh, Let's put it this way: uh, Trump, Trump vehemently anti-trade. Uh, Clinton trying to sort of back up, saying, "I'm, I'm not really uh, that pro-trade." Right. Um, Which I don't it, buy. Again, it, it's not, it's not a, a you know Reagan Carter, you know Reagan, sure. you know government's the problem, Carter the government's the solution uh, type debate. And I think those those type of of when you have a question rather than just a personality uh, difference, though that just lends itself to better debates. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's also just the the skill and uh, smarts and and wit of the uh, of the debaters, um, and I I don't know that you you have a lot of that yeah you know this time well you know one thing on the Clinton email thing and I know a lot of what a lot of what I read and heard on the right says why didn't Lester Holt hit her harder on that I think in part because she had a great response when somebody brings up an issue like that and and the person answers well you know what it was wrong it was a bad decision i wouldn't do it again then you're kind of you've kind of gotten that answer and then it's sort of it seems like badgering almost well was it how you know why did you do it if it was wrong it kind of seems so you know and that's well i mean it was to me it was the more the way uh lester holt asked that question it it wasn't as a hillary clinton you you uh sent classified uh, information over the private server, didn't you? According to what the FBI said, 
you know, and then you said you really didn't know what the C meant. No, I mean, he could have asked it that way. And, and again, it was instead more of the softball of, do you want to respond to those email questions? Yeah. Well, um, I don't. I don't think. I think it was just kind of how it how it sort of came up in the, in the, right. in the course of things and wasn't. But but in any case, um, and and also in, in Lester Holt may have expected Donald Trump to do a lot more of the yeah hitting on the email questions. Yeah, absolutely. Rightly, rightly or wrongly, whether yeah. it, you know his job or not. But I got to say, one debate reform I would love to see. Uh, it'll never happen, but I'd love to see it. Is uh, to give the moderator. A mute button. So when one candidate is talking, they can turn off the other candidate's mic. And so you don't get any of the interruptions. And actually, that would have helped Donald Trump, you know, really um, a, a lot because he interrupted Clinton a lot more than Clinton interrupted him. And of course, that's another thing that apparently a number of uh, independent, undecided voters may have had a problem with. And so that would actually be a, a, a change that I think would make it easier for us to actually get information with all these interruptions. And, you know, I, and I'm certainly no Trump supporter, but that certainly would help out Donald Trump, I would think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm sort of, of, of mixed views on that uh, because sometimes I think interruptions are important. I mean, I, sometimes I think they can be warranted. Uh, I also think it can be overdone. Yeah, uh, and, I, and and it's it's one of those things that you to me it's almost more but you just leave it to the viewer uh, to determine. Look, is is this being overdone? Is you know one if if Trump were to interrupt one time on a very important point, um, uh, that that carries much more weight than just yeah. the constant sort of badgering. Um, and so I think it's it's sort of you just let that let that play out. Um, that said, I, I think it would be good if the moderators had had some more control. Um, there's also a Facebook meme going around that, that sort of like sign a petition to have uh, Samuel L. Jackson be the next presidential Ooh, debate moderator. No, that would be that would which be, would be fantastic. Yeah, but. absolutely. You know, well, let's we, we talked a lot about the debate. It's, of course, we were going to, but let's move off to something a little bit different. In fact, let's move off from pres the presidential race entirely just for a minute and talk about Congress. Congress has been very busy this week. First and most importantly, they approved a short-term spending bill to keep the government running, which is a nice That's thing. Good. Yeah. Now, the measure lasts until December 9th, at which point the lame duck Congress will have to either pass an actual budget or another extension. Now, in a perfect world, Congress passes 12 separate appropriation bills based on the president's budget request, and all this happens before the new fiscal year starts on October 1st. That but, is record, re referred to as the regular order, yes, correct? Yes, and, yes, and that almost for, never for happens. For people, yes. Because yep. in reality, Congress often can't agree on a budget by that deadline. And then when that happens, and that's been far more often than not in recent years, they pass something called the Continuing Resolution, or CR for short, which generally what it does is keeps most spending where it was under the old budget. That's expiring. Now, the big sticking point this year was funding for the water system in Flint, Michigan. And Democrats have been pushing for funding to clean up the lead in Flint's water supply. Republicans have resisted that somewhat. And the compromise here was that there'd be no Flint funding in the budget, but that there would be funding for Flint's water system in separate legislation on water infrastructure projects. And also, I should mention that in this CR includes just over a billion dollars to combat the, the Zika virus. So... Uh, what do you? What did you think about this compromise I, I agreement? I think that's 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 okay. I think that works out fine. Um, I wouldn't say wouldn't characterize Republicans as against cleaning up Flint's water. 
I, I think this is one of those situations where Republicans are, are always going to be outbid, uh, you know, when it comes to expenditures. So um, I think putting that in a separate bill is is a good thing uh, because it, it, I think the, the issue itself deals with more than just uh, infrastructure and spending. Uh, so so I think that that was a, a good compromise. I think that that worked out well. Uh, same thing with the Zika. I mean, there was the you know the question of of uh, however much Republicans would propose to spend on it, Democrats can propose to spend more, uh, and that is you know. Then there was the money just, for the sort of building of the system too. of, of yeah. uh, you know the gamesmanship of of, of how it works. Uh, one side always has that advantage to say, well, if they'll spend. Uh, uh, you know, fifty million dollars. We'll spend fifty-one million dollars, and and you know, why do these people hate uh, Zika virus victims? But um, I, no, I, I think I think it's uh, I think it's okay. I, I think it shows that Congress is um, working to some extent. Now, do you think it's appropriate for a lame duck Congress to pass a new budget? And just for just for listeners who don't uh, who aren't familiar with that term, a lame duck Congress is, of course, the congressional session that meets after the elections, but before the new Congress comes in in the in the next year. And so there's a brief period, and 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 of course, what that means is there are some members of Congress who will not be there in 2017, but who are still duly elected members of Congress, finishing out their term. And uh, who can, you know, who have all the privileges and rights and can vote on things and so forth. And so do you think it's appropriate for them to uh, to try to pass a budget? Um, yeah, I do. I think it's in some ways you might even say, you know, look, we, we talk sometimes about is, you know, <laughs> we have too much democracy. Um, you know, maybe maybe that frees up some people to uh, sort of step aside from from the special interest and, and do the right thing. That's one way of viewing it, looking at it. The other way is if you consider that the the uh, re-election rates of incumbents are so staggeringly high, even in in what we call a change election here. Now it's possible the Senate, the balance of the Senate uh, could switch, uh, and that would make a difference. Um, but it's mostly going to be the same people who are are in office in the lame duck session as we're going to be sworn in in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there's still that accountability there. Um, I, you know, I, in in a perfect world, again, they would go with the regular order and, and get things done then. Um, but yeah. I, I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's an affront to democracy to, uh, to, to have the budget completed in a, a lame duck session. I, I agree. I never bought that argument. It seems to me that if you are elected to serve in a right. two-year term, term right? yeah, you get yeah. to you get to be a member of Congress for your whole term. And that's why, I, I mean, that's kind of why I always felt that that argument when it applies to, and in part, some people were mentioning it about uh, voting to confirm or not Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court, that argument about, well, we should have the election first and let the new Congress do it. Uh, regardless of what you think about the merits of Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court, I think that argument is not really uh, is not a really good argument because you get elected for that full term, whether it's two years for the House or six years for the Senate. And up until the very day you leave, you have absolutely every right to vote on whatever. And I don't think that's any affront to democracy at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, Congress also did something it hadn't done in President Obama's entire time in office this week. It overrode one of his vetoes, making President Obama 11 for 12. 
Um, now, the override was on the president's veto of legislation allowing the families of 9-11 victims to sue Saudi Arabia in court to recover damages, if, of course, they can prove that the Saudis were in any way responsible for the attacks. Now, this is a claim that several government commissions have looked into and found no credible evidence for. Now, shortly after the override, a number of members of Congress expressed concern about the legislation they just voted for, worrying that it might lead to other governments authorizing suits against the United States. So, Jay, why did Congress vote to override, in your view, and was it the right call? Um, you know, on the one hand, seeing having uh, Congress override an Obama veto, part of me wants to say uh, about damn time. Um, but this issue we talked about a couple weeks back is is just not a good one to to do it on i and and i'm going to depart from what most of of congress says and i'm i'm with obama on this uh, I, I think the the president ought to be in charge of making foreign policy and i think this does jeopardize uh the the welfare of uh americans abroad uh it uh it puts a, a unnecessarily unnecessary further strain on on our relationship with um, uh, an ally, and again, albeit a a, a prickly uh, ally, and an ally, and sometimes is, it seems in name only, um, but but that is the sphere of the uh, president and the executive branch, and um, I'm disappointed that the Congress chose this issue. Uh, to to do this on. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Jay. Uh, sovereign immunity is a really important thing. But, and, you know, I think actually a lot of members of Congress didn't want to vote for this, but you think about uh, what's sometimes called the optics. Right yeah. before oh, yeah. an election, I mean, you, voting against – Exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that's where this these concerns that you heard members of Congress from both parties expressing right after saying, you know, uh, this is this is a worrisome thing. But they were forced into – and even President Obama in his statement said, I get it. You know, and so this yeah. is an example of one of these things that's smart politically but not smart from a policy perspective. And unfortunately, sometimes members of Congress are put into this position. Uh, there are there were a few people who voted against it. I believe one of the only people who voted against it in the to, uh, the override in the Senate, maybe the only one I think, was Harry Reid. And uh, by the way, Harry Reid is retiring. So you know, I mean, there's you know, there, there's something to that certainly. Um, so well, I me, get. I, it. I do want to take just a, a little swipe at Obama on this too, of you do. because there there's a likelihood I think that this could have been averted. Uh, as you said, Obama certainly understood the political problem uh, that that Congress had, and Congress certainly understood the foreign policy problem that Obama had. Uh, and and for whatever reason, I mean, there are stories that there were some overtures, discussions about is there some sort of compromise? Is there some sort of a way we can we can uh, find a middle ground on this. Um, uh, nevertheless, it 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 never worked out that way. And I, I suppose I shouldn't just fault Obama. I suppose you you, you fault both sides on that. Um, but but that was disappointing. And and either Obama either miscounted the votes and didn't think his veto would be overridden. Which again, that's that's tough to believe. You know, no, actually, a, I agree with a you. Professional there. pro would would just would just miscount and get it that wrong. Uh, or he he uh, didn't didn't take the opportunity to to pursue some sort of compromise that would have avoided this. Yeah, my understanding actually is, and, and so I, I will agree with you that I think President Obama, at least the administration, bears a little more of the blame than Congress. From what I understand, that initially when this was put forward, that the administration thought that they would have 
just enough votes to sustain a veto. But then I think as things got closer to the election and so forth, that was a, I think it was a miscalculation. So uh, a regrettable thing uh, all around for sure. And I don't think it's going to do us any good. And let me, let me just point out though, that, that from a, from a professional standpoint, um, because I've, I've worked in sort of the government area and, and lobbying and some of my best friends are lobbyists. Um, and 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 many of my friends are, are legislators in, in various levels. I should say many of my friends. It's not like that's that's just who I hang out with. Right. But, um, you know, knowing the vote count is is really critical. And if you're a, if you're a pro, you know who you've got and who you don't. There's always some surprises, um, but there shouldn't be that big a surprise on something where the stakes are are that high. Yeah, and this wasn't and a narrow veto override. You know, it's just like a, 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 you know, completely botched football play kind of thing. You know, it's just. Yeah. It happens. Yeah, it happens, you know, and it clearly happened here. Okay. Before we get to our next story, we'd like to thank our new supporters this week. First, we have Teresa from Cape May Courthouse, New Jersey. Thanks, Teresa. Right. We really appreciate your support. Uh, our second new supporter this week. I've been to Cape May. My sister spent a summer in Cape May. Yeah, I, I, I've it's never, beautiful never got, I've heard, I've heard very nice. Um. Now, our second new supporter this week is Robbie from Washington, D.C., a new monthly contributing supporter, or as NPR might put it, a sustaining member. I feel like sustaining maybe, member. Yeah, wow. we should maybe send him a tote bag you, or something. Yeah. Now, Robbie joins a select group of Politics Guys listeners who have set up an automatic donation each month, and that is incredibly helpful to us and greatly appreciated. We really thank you, Robbie. Um, if you're interested in supporting the show financially, you can do what Teresa and Robbie did. Go to politicsguys.com and click on either the PayPal donation link or the Patreon link, which went down for a minute, but we'll put that back up. We've got up there. We'll be up there by the time you hear this. Uh, we would appreciate that. Also, we've got some special rewards for our listeners and supporters, which you can check out by clicking on the listener rewards link on our site. And as always, it'd be a big help if you could spread the word about the show, share and retweet our new show posts on Facebook and Twitter and leave reviews and ratings of the show on iTunes. All right. Next, we'll turn to the state of the presidential race. You know, a few shows back, I mentioned how political science research has found that debates rarely make a significant difference in a presidential race. But I also said that this race could be different. Now, it's really too early to tell if the debate will make a lasting difference. But based on polls we've seen over the last week, it seems pretty clear that Clinton's debate performance has given her a bump of a few percent both in national averages and, what's far more important, in a number of swing states. She's even edged ahead of Trump a little bit in Florida, a state that's absolutely essential as presidential chances. Essentially, if Trump doesn't win Florida and Ohio, it's really hard to see how he could actually get enough electoral votes to become president. So, Jay, do you think this is a momentary blip, or do you expect it to be more long-lasting? I think it's a momentary blip. Okay, so things are going to fade after <laughs> – yeah, okay. Well, why do you think that? Uh, again, the – no one is going to to look back on this debate and say, wow, do you remember that moment when uh, Hillary Clinton said, you know, X, Y, or Z? Um, like it's, Trump it's, up, trickle down, which was an awful line, wasn't it? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. She, she does – She's not good at this stuff. No. For, for speechwriters, I mean if you consider, you know, some of – other other great great lines that that uh, debaters have had, um, you know, and they also throw in the, the basket of deplorables from her speech. There, yeah. where it's just a 
It's such a weird metaphor. Well, and a weird well, well what she reminds me of, what she really reminds me of more than anything else. Now, I, I will preface this by saying that I have no doubt in my mind that Hillary Clinton is way, way smarter than I am. I, I'm absolutely convinced of that. But, well, I don't know. well I, thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. But what, what she reminds me of is when she's debating, at least, uh, or just generally speaking in public, is I have some of these students that they're just kind of naturally, they're not. They're not unintelligent, but they're not really bright, and they work super, super hard, but you can just read it in their papers and so forth that they're super prepared, but they just, it's just not coming natural. They're just not brilliant. They're trying too hard. You know, yeah, and I think that's Hillary Clinton all over, at least in public stuff. When it comes to policy and thinking through issues, I think, again, she's absolutely an incredibly smart person. I would say even smarter than her husband, who's super smart, but who obviously was much more of a natural at these things. So I think she's making the most of her very limited public speaking and debating skills, and she's done a great job at that, but it's just not her thing. Uh, But I disagree with you. I expect this to be a little more long-lasting because I think a lot of people who were kind of undecided, this was, I mean, for us, we've been talking about Donald Trump and the debates and so forth for a long time, but for a lot of people, 86 million plus people who watched this, for a number of these people, this was their first really extended view of both candidates. And for those undecided people, I think they got a feel for Donald Trump that maybe kind of will push them away. Now, again, I should say, to me, a lot depends on what's going to happen in the second debate, if Donald Trump yeah. can adjust. Yeah, that's the other thing is there. there's more debates coming. Yeah. It's, But I wouldn't uh, be surprised it, if it's a little more long-lasting. And, you know, I should also point out, and this is maybe, I know, particularly important to us, Clinton is also cutting into Trump's lead in Ohio. Uh, right now, Trump is, based on polling averages, up less than two points, which is, of course, within the margin of error there. And as I said, Ohio's another must-win state for Trump. And the interesting thing to me is that Hillary Clinton has not been paying much attention to our home state. I mean, not personal attention, at least. There have been surrogates and so forth, and of course she has a big organization, but she hasn't been spending much time here at all. And that's a really surprising departure for a presidential candidate. So what do you think's going on with that, Jay? I don't know. It it could be that there are other more important fires to put out at, at this point. Uh, or it might be you focus on Florida and just figure, look, if we can knock Trump out of Florida, then then Ohio doesn't matter. Um, I, I do certainly think she has the much better ground game fueled organization in Ohio where, where Trump has virtually nothing. And and the the deep in my soul of, of you know, <laughs> someone who's, who's been through elections – you know, many, many times, I, I still have to believe that that's a, a huge advantage and that makes a difference. And it's something that people don't really see um, on TV. You don't necessarily pick up on the polls, but it really does matter on election day, or at least it, it always has in the past. And, and I think maybe she's starting to count on on having that uh, that infrastructure there that, that Trump doesn't have. Yeah. And you know, I want to pick up on that, that infrastructure issue, because we've talked about it before, but you're right. It's hugely important. And I don't think it's something that the media as a general. It, it ought to be hugely important. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it, that's, that's in reality. Really, it is. It keeps me up at night. Is yeah. What if I'm wrong? Right. What, what if you know, and it's, it's not a matter of, of who gets elected. It's a matter of. Everything I've learned over my life is wrong. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, if you take a look at voter registration, for instance, which uh, the website 538.com did recently, what you'll find 
is that likely Trump voters, the sort of people who tend to be the biggest Trump supporters, aren't actually registering in huge numbers. Now, there's an uptick in some states, but nothing like what you might think. And in many instances, it's matched, if not exceeded, by anti-Trump Democrat registrations. And this, to me, is yet another instance in where Trump's lack of a campaign infrastructure comes back to haunt him. There are literally tens of millions of Trump voters out there who will almost certainly not make it to the polls, more than enough people to win him the presidency. And I believe that if he had any sort of a, anything approaching a normal campaign organization, and this is entirely different from what he says, he could be the same old Donald Trump, not change anything. But if he had that organization underneath Getting that infrastructure, polls, yeah. yeah, I think he'd be the next president. And I think that there are a lot of folks who are gnashing their teeth thinking, my God, we, we, we could so totally win this thing if not for just this completely incomprehensible lack of attention to this. And, and I think that's, that's just, you know, one of these things that you got to scratch your head. Um, on Ohio, I think one of the reasons why Hillary Clinton is, is uh, uh, not spending much time in Ohio, you know, you mentioned Florida and, you know, you're right. Clinton is in the enviable position of being able to lose both Florida and Ohio and still have a pretty good path to the 270 electoral votes she needs. And that's a pretty rare thing. Also, Ohio is starting to not so much change demographically, but the rest of the country is. You know, Ohio is, Ohio is more staying the same while other places are changing. Exactly. It's, it's older. It's less racially diverse. It's less, less educated. That, it sort of favors Trump a little bit more than a state like Florida, which, again, all Clinton needs essentially is one of these two states. And she's basically a lock. And so it makes sense to spend more time in this state that you have a better chance in. So I totally get it as a matter of strategy. It's just weird being an Ohioan and not you know, seeing the candidate here practically every other week. Yeah. All right. Um, go ahead. No, no, never mind. Okay. I was going to say Trump hasn't really been in Ohio a lot lately either. But I don't he, believe. Well, there's been there's been a lot more activity by Trump in the state because, understandably so, he has yeah. to win Ohio. You know, it's not going to happen without winning Ohio. Um, all right. It's time for Under the Radar, where we discuss news that didn't get the attention it deserved this week. Okay. Um, my under-the-radar story is a rule issued by the Federal Health and Human Services Agency that bars nursing homes receiving federal funding, which is essentially all of them, from requiring that their new residents agree to binding arbitration. Now, given that the nursing home industry as we know it in this country couldn't exist without federal funding from Medicare, this is a huge deal, and it's going to do a lot to protect the 1.5 million Americans in nursing homes. Um, now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I brought up a lot of regulatory rule stories in this segment, because to me, that's the sort of boring but important administrative type thing that the media does a really bad job of covering, but that makes a huge tangible difference in the lives of millions of Americans. And while the media may not be paying attention, you can bet that big businesses which is why I personally worry that under a Republican administration, any Republican administration, these regulatory protections will be eliminated at the behest of large corporate interests that have such a stranglehold on the Republican Party. So, Jay, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, if if elected, undoing that rule would be my, my first act. 
<laughs> so you know, there you go. J. Trump. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of proving your point. Uh, I, I know you, you, you really hate arbitration clauses. Um, I do. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not really sure why. I think you do. Uh, I think you know. But uh, <laughs> I think because they, they force people. I mean, when, when the set, essentially, the option is to agree to this arbitration clause, or you're just out of luck. Basically, people are forced to agree to these things because they don't have another viable option. And then what happens so often is that they are essentially outgunned and outmanned in the arbitration and they get, uh, to, to not put it too politely, they get screwed over. Um, and, you know, this happens again and again and it's not in the public eye because these things are secret. So it's, it, it's essentially, it's this shadow justice system that favors, you know, big corporate interests who are able to manipulate the system. Now I know the standard response is, well, if we do away with these mandatory cause, got these mandatory clauses, what that's going to do is that's going to increase litigation. It is, and it's going yeah. to force us to increase our costs to these uh, yeah. overall. And I say, that's okay too. That's okay. And as long as it's – the thing is to me is as long as it's industry-wide, no one suffers because it's not like the nursing home well, business is – Everybody well, suffers. No, no, it's, no, it's not like – increases industry-wide. It's everyone benefits because they get more protection. The, right. some let, of the, let, let, me, let me start here with the, the – you're starting with the premise that everyone benefits. And I think that's, that's what I want to dispute. Um, I, I – deal with arbitration clauses quite frequently in my practice. I do a whole lot of, of arbitration. Um, I am a, a, a very active participant in the this shadow judiciary um, or whatever it is you, you want to call it. And, and I can tell you from a, a practitioner in, in this that arbitration provides a, a much cheaper, much better, much cleaner uh, result for all litigants uh, than than going to to trial and and, and the, the reason why and this is something that I I think ought to appeal to you I mean we talk a lot about expertise of of politicians and their smarts and their backgrounds and and what they what they bring to the table um, when you consider that uh, in an arbitration you're getting someone who is on average I would say better informed. Uh, more in tune with what goes on in the industry, more in tune with the types of issues that arise um, than than your your typical judge might be. Uh, I think it's it's a great thing, and it's it's it allows more attention. Uh, it allows um, uh, more expertise to be brought, and and the the ability you know for an arbitrator to award damages are are still just as sure. the, as a jury would be. But it's a more informed. And if you are – and I'll use nursing homes just because that's the example we're talking about now. You know, So much of, of what they deal with and every, every industry has, has liability um, because people screw stuff up and, and it, it, it happens. And the way to deal with that is for them to get insurance. And to get insurance, what you need to be able to do is go to the insurer and say, here's what my risk is. I want to insure against this. Here's mo most likely I could get hit with if something goes wrong. And they can design an insurance policy and a product and a premium that works for that. Uh, but when you when you leave it too much to chance, when you add that that extra, um, you know, just, oh, we'll just throw it to a jury and, and you know, again, 12 people 
who maybe know nothing about nursing home, nursing home administration, uh, medical care. Uh, you you throw that wild card in, and that's what makes it difficult for insurers to insure against. That's what raises the premiums, and that's what raises costs uh, for uh, people who are paying directly, uh, and it raises costs for the government, which is paying a lot of these, and everyone pays that indirectly. So, I, you know, look, I'm, my experience in arbitration is arbitrators are are very smart people, are very fair people. Uh, I don't think the fix is in. Um, on the other hand, I think typically if you're a plaintiff on one of these cases, and, I, and I've I've been in situations where we've represented both plaintiffs and defendants in arbitrations. Um, but, but the plaintiff idea is that, look, maybe you hit the jackpot. Maybe you get a runaway jury that gets you that huge, uh, uh, huge, did I say that, um, verdict uh, that, that goes beyond – Beyond what what is reasonable, what uh, what people would expect. So I'm I am all for arbitration. I think it's really not not as bad or as scary as as uh, you make it out to be. So well, uh, I know we've talked about this before. I also know we're running a little long, but I will just say this: you are right, but you're wrong. I absolutely agree. <laughs> well, no, no, you're right in, in in the individual cases. I have no doubt that arbitration is cleaner. The expertise point you bring up, I agree with. Pretty much all of it's, that. It's no, faster. Wait, it's wait, cheaper wait. for all parties yeah, concerned. I understand. Don't argue with me when I'm agreeing with you, Jay. Come on, man. Um, but the problem is, is it eliminates the possibility of class action lawsuits. And that, to me, is the big problem. And I've talked about this before. I won't, I won't go into great detail. But just simply put, if you get – if you essentially uh, – you know, someone's a big company is doing something that costs you $50 or something like that, individually, that makes it very difficult for it to be worth the time and money and so forth. And if you want to get a company that's doing something like this that's engaging in some deceptive practice to stop doing it. One of the best ways is through a class action lawsuit. This makes this impossible. That's what these companies fear is these big class action lawsuits, and that's what this stops. But again, Jay, I know you and I have talked about this before. We see the world in a fundamentally different way when it comes to this, but I am just glad to know that the likelihood is that Hillary Clinton will be the next president, please God, and that this will not be rescinded all right <laughs> the shadow judiciary will yeah I, what, what was the word you used the shadow judiciary yeah shadow, shadow judiciary system yeah i think it's a uh, horrible reason for that but anyway we've talked it's about really that not before that shadowy at all it's it's really it's, it's pretty private yeah okay get to try to get the records of those arbitrations good luck all right <laughs> time for listener mail well, well, go ahead can I, can I just, I just yeah please go ahead go ahead i know this is near your heart i want to validate your point Oh, okay. Please. Um, I think your argument makes more sense in terms of the Wells Fargo bank type situation on, on class yes, actions than it does exactly. in the nursing home type situation. Well, it absolutely depends and on that the because it's just because the nature of those those two industries, in, you're much less prone in a, a nursing home situation to have uh, the the commonality element that you need for a, a class action. It's going going to be more individualized yeah, maybe. incidents, yeah. individualized damages, as opposed to broad across the board. The bank stole, you know, whatever, 50 bucks from everybody. I see. But. I see what you're saying. Yeah, Nick, you're right. Yeah, you, you could be right, though. Of course, that was a big storyline in, I think, season one or season two of Better Call Saul. So it can happen with the nursing homes. But anyway, a little plug for Better Call Saul there as well. Not like AMC needs it. Um, All right. Time for a listener mail. 
First is Jack, who teaches an upper sixth class at Mayfield Grammar School in Gravesend, just east of London, in the wow. in, in UK. Um, we have we have so many uh, listeners, for, uh, international listeners, especially from the UK. Um, now Jack is a contributor to the show and a loyal listener who writes. It has been nothing short of a revelation since finding you. I thoroughly enjoy it and have in fact made it compulsory listening for my politics class. Cannot imagine a better way for British students to get a taste of American politics over a podcast. Wow, thank yeah. you. That 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 really means a lot. Seriously. It's it's Absol- I'm humbled. Absolutely yeah, I agree. I agree. Um next there's Ben, a British listener based in Hong Kong. Ben writes, love the show. It's compulsory listening on my way to work. What draws me to your podcast over NPR, Huffington Post, The New Yorker, Guardian, or any of the many other politics podcasts I listen to is the dynamic between you both and the calm, sane balance of your often different perspectives on the same issue. For me, it fills a much-needed gap at a time when increasingly news coverage is not calm, not sane, unbalanced, and this year a little unhinged. For me, playing with the format is welcome, but you're already into a great thing with the foundations of what you're doing. I love Dominique and learned a bit about the NFL today, which is, for a Brit, is about as curious and bizarre as your current presidential election. (laughs) So I kind of like that little touch. Wow. Yeah, so thank you very much, Ben. Finally, we have Skye from Overbrook, Kansas, with a question for us. She writes, hey guys, huge fan of the show. I am 18 years old and I live in a small town in Kansas. I'm an independent who is thinking about voting Democrat. I pay a lot of attention to the presidential campaign and put a lot of effort into being an educated voter. But my friends and family tell me it's useless to vote because Kansas hasn't voted anything but Republican since 1964 and that won't change. Do you guys think my vote really doesn't matter and why? What do you think, Jay? Does Sky's vote matter? Um in in presidential terms uh i'll be honest with this guy probably not uh, but this is this is my big republican small government sort of pitch to to me so much of of what it happens and is important uh, that you vote on it comes down to state and local issues um and i think i think your voice can really be heard there and it's it's heard louder there uh just because of its smaller you know, people, number of people are voting. Um, so, you know, the, the presidency is, is always the big, the big prize, the big deal. And, and you're, you know, you feel like you're picking the president, but, and I, I certainly don't want to say that picking the president isn't important. Obviously it, it's, it's very, very, very important. Um, but don't discount uh, your voice in uh, state and local uh, elections. Um, and, and, you know, another thing to think about in state and local elections is, there's the big complaint this year, and we've said it, and, and so many of others have had, is you know, look, is this what we've got from our, our field to choose from? Um, but the the farm teams, you know, the people who might be governors and presidents, uh, all start out somewhere at, at a city council or a school board, uh, or as, as a, a state representative or something like that, and and you have the the ability to make a difference in those kind of races and and see that the the right people sort of are joining the the farm team so to speak as they as they move up and and you get your potential uh, presidential candidates yeah, and senatorial I, candidates yeah absolutely I, I agree entirely i would also add that even if 
you vote for a candidate who you know isn't going to win, that vote is still counted and that, that still matters in terms of the national tally. While the national popular vote for president does not mean anything, though it's still uh, indicative of the level of support a candidate Bragging, right? has. So, yeah. So <laughs> for, for all the reasons that Jay mentioned and that, absolutely, while no individual vote really matters in that sense that that's going to decide anything that's the the, van, the odds are vanishingly small of that even in a really close state in fact there are some political scientists who would argue that the rational thing to do given how little any individual vote counts is simply not to vote of course then the counter argument is well if everyone thought that way then the counter argument to that right, is I, well everyone doesn't think that way but the point is it does matter i think the mathematicians would have some argument with that uh yeah absolutely um yeah. so yes we would absolutely encourage you to get out to vote even if you're a democrat in kansas or uh, a republican in california it matters or, it matters for or, all a, those or a republican in in uh, cleveland ohio <laughs> or a republican in cleveland ohio yeah absolutely so please do uh, get out there and, and vote. It does matter. All right. If you have a comment, question, or correction for us, send us an email at politicsguys at gmail.com, or you can message us on the Facebook Politics Guys page, or you can call into our listener line, of which we have the number we have listed there on the website. And while we won't read every email on the air, we most definitely will personally respond to every single listener email, Facebook message, voicemail message that we get. We really appreciate them. All right, that's it for this week's uh, pretty full episode. But again, Jay was gone for a week. He had a lot to say. I had a lot to say back. It happens every once in a while. Thanks for sticking with us for this episode, and thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or questions for Ask the Politics Guys, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. And now, as I just mentioned, you can also leave a voice message for us by calling our listener line, 408-840-3518. Our Facebook page where we post throughout the week is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. We're also at Twitter at politicsguys. If you're interested in helping us keep the show going, sharing, retweeting those new show posts and tweets and reviewing the show on iTunes really does help. And finally, if you'd like to support the show financially, you can do that through the PayPal and Patreon links on our website. While you're there, be sure to check out our listener rewards. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.